I love an organ. I tell you, there's not an organ within 3,000 miles of Alaska, I don't think. It's so great. Thanks, Ruth, for playing this morning. I appreciate it. Good to be back. This is my fifth time preaching here at Hinsdale. I looked at my calendar to make sure to preach the same message twice to you guys, so I know which one it was today. And today is joy to have Byron with me, who's one of our students, and you're going to hear a little bit from him at the end of the service, and then at the Salmon fundraiser today, he's going to tell his whole story. It's a pretty amazing story what Jesus has done in his life. But I thought, you know what, to start off before I even open up God's Word, I want to take you guys on a tour of your college. You guys want to see a tour of the college you guys support up in Alaska? First of all, who's been to Alaska? Raise your hand. Just let me, oh, a whole bunch of you guys. Who's been there in January? Raise your hand. I thought so. Okay. One guy, Simon's been up there to serve and minister with us. So let me take you on a tour of your college, Alaska Christian College. Let's roll the video. So we did start in 2001 with just 22 students and 16 staff. We started with just one building on 10 acres. And since then, these last 21 years, God has given us now a total of about 60 staff. And now over 800 students have walked through our doors since our very, very first day. That one acre has now grown to 30 acres. And we have gone from uh, the one building now to our 21st building coming up this summer. And as of two days ago, Alaska Christian College is completely debt-free. We owe nobody anything. Praise the Lord for that. All these buildings that you're seeing are built by volunteers. We have 300 volunteers, including Hensdale Covenant Church that's coming up on the 25th of June to serve and to help us with three of our major building projects. ACC is all about students. We offer four associate and arts degrees, one in Christian ministry, professional education. We have one in behavioral health and then a general education degree. These buildings that you see right now were both donated to ACC through a various group of people who just lived right next to our campus, adding to our ability to have 150 students total on our campus. New Hope Counseling Center is a free ministry to the students of ACC and also to the community at large. And uh, my wife exactly is executive director. They have a really cute executive director over there. And as you come around the corner here on this part of the video, you're going to see this piece of land that is now underway to be our newest uh, building, a gymnasium that some of your team will be working on. It's an 18,000 square foot gym, and it is the best thing our students could ever imagine is having basketball 25 hours a day. But also coming down the pike very soon after that is a chapel. We've never had a worship center on our campus, and this chapel has been donated in part by a family whose mom passed away, and they want to do something significant and give a gift to the school but to raise uh, it up and have mom's name on the chapel and I asked what's your mom's name they said Jezebel (laughs) no her name is Gloria so it'll be the Gloria Chapel will be on Alaska Christian College's campus in years to come so it's all about uh, students and you're going to hear again from one of, of those today so just so good to be back thank you for your support your generosity, you're coming to our campus, you're letting me come down and to speak. I've known your two pastors here, the two guys, for many years. You guys just have a great team here. I just want you folks to realize that, okay, of people who who serve, and thanks for um, making a way for us to be back. So today I have a bunch of scripture that we're going to be going through. In fact, you're going to help me with some of the scripture that we're going to share about. But I want to start by, by telling you that kind of the, the, the theme of my message today is a tale of two Carlsons. Now, you're in a church that has a Swedish roots and background, and so Carlsons, they're all... How many Carlsons are in this, in this room today? Anybody? There's always a Carlson somewhere. Okay. Except Hinsdale. 
This guy in 1964, Paul Carlson, left the Rolling Hills Covenant Church in Southern California and took his family and uh, went across the ocean to Africa and ended up in the Congo. And if you've been with us for a while, you know that the Congo is our largest mission field in the Evangelical Covenant Church. Pastor Paul was a, was a missionary doctor. His name is Monganga Paul. When Paul got there, there was a lot of unrest in the country of Congo, also known as Zaire. And it got to the point where the rebels, the Simba rebels were coming in 1964 to take over. He took his family, the missionaries, they left, went across the river to the Central African Republic. When they got there, Paul realized he had some patients he just had to get back to, went back by himself to assist those patients. And while he was there, the rebels came into the village and he was taken. And he was taken because they had heard that he was a mercenaire, which is a mercenary. <clears throat> when in fact, he wasn't a mercenaire. He was a missionary, which is a what? A missionary. And they took him down to Leopoldville, now today Kinshasa, and he was arrested with a bunch of other expatriates and, and, and missionaries. Uh, Lyndon B. Johnson, our president, was working on his release when all of a sudden the Belgian troops came in, and there was a Belgian Congo at the time, to release everybody, came flying in. There was a lot of a lot of shooting and a lot of things going on, people running everywhere. And Paul, another missionary guy, had the chance to escape. And Paul went running out the door. They went over to the wall. He's helping this guy get over the wall. And he gets riddled with bullets, and Paul is murdered. Our only martyr in, in, we've had in, in Africa. And I've always wondered, what were Paul's last words? What do you think his famous last words were before the Lord took him? And I imagine they were these words, go, 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 as he's trying to push the other guy as fast as he can over the wall so he can get over. And today we're going to take a look at not just Paul Carlson's famous last words, but also Jesus' famous last words. I've had the privilege to go to Congo and to uh, be at, at his graveside, Dr. Paul E. Carlson. And it was a privilege to be there with a bunch of native people who remember what Monganga did for their, their community. So today we're going to take a look at Jesus' famous last words. And um, I, want to, I want to start by going to a, a verse that you're very familiar with. It's called the Great Commission. And I want you to say it with me. Let's say it together. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So in the Greek, end of Matthew, Jesus' famous last words, he could have said anything he wanted to say. He chose to say these words, go, and in the command form in the Greek, that is, yes, go. It's not passive, it's direct. You need to go. But while you are going, the passive Greek says, but while you are going, I want you to make disciples. Not little Christianettes, not good stewards, not people who teach Sunday school, though you need them. Um, well, I want you to go make disciples, people who will follow me. That's what I'm asking you to do. And I want you to do that, of course, to all nations, including the Congo and including Africa as well. When I was a young new Christian at age 16, I went to a concert, a guy named uh, Keith Green, if you guys remember Keith Green, and he uh, said this, Jesus commands us to go, and it should be the exception if we stay. Let's say that together. Jesus commands us to go, and it should be the exception if we stay. Keith Green was killed in a plane crash shortly after he said his famous last words. 
But why? Why go? Why bother? Why spend all the effort and time that I need to go? Besides Jesus commanded it, there's coming this day, this picture of heaven that we are looking forward to. And Revelation 7, 9 tells us what that day is going to look like. And let's say it together. And after this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and the Lamb. That's why we do it. We want to see heaven full, don't we? We want to see every nation representative, every tribe, every Congolese, every Alaskan Eskimo in heaven in this great throng of people that are going to stand before the throne and the Lamb. That's why we do it. We want to see heaven full because I have a secret to tell you guys. I know you may not realize this, but the club is not full yet. There are still memberships to be made. Heaven still has openings. And there's coming a day when this mighty scene will fulfill the purpose of Jesus coming to die for each of us. This mass of humanity, no one can count from the multitude standing before the throne. And all those that Jesus said, you must be spiritually born again. Those that have extended their hand out to the Lord, the Lord has received them. They've received that amazing grace from a loving God. They'll all be there. Pretty exciting. That's why we do it. That's why Jesus said go, his famous last words. Jesus said to them, let's say it together, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Another time here, Jesus said to them, go into all the world. Wow. We know this is our call, Christ's call for us. Well, how do we do that? I want you to turn to your neighbor, and I want you to say, I don't want to be a caboose. Go ahead, turn to your neighbor and say, I don't want to be a caboose. All right, what's this crazy guy from Alaska talking about? Very beginning of Christianity, Jesus said, go and make disciples. And he started what is known as the apostolic train. That from that first person that he led to the Lord and to the twelve, all these folks, all through the generations, This train has been moving on the tracks. And in 1979, it touched a young man named Keith Hamilton at a covenant camp in Leavenworth, Washington, Circle C Ranch. And I made a decision to follow the Lord, and that apostolic train came to me. And I had a choice at that time, and I still do today. I can continue the train, or I can be a what? A caboose. And it stops with me. I could say, that, oh, this is the greatest story ever told. I received this. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And never tell anybody. That apostolic train from Jesus to Keith, it stops. I'm a caboose. I don't want to be a caboose. I want to continue to share that story, that great news to go, and to see that great multitude happen, as we've mentioned. Jesus' famous last words, you are to go. He didn't say don't be a caboose, but I'm saying it. Well, we find in Matthew those, those incredible words. I want to ask you, do you have the mission heart of Jesus? That those things that break his heart also break your heart enough that you are open to receive the mission call to go do something radical. So not just in Matthew, we see it end of Matthew 28, but also, of course, we have to go to Acts. And we're in Pentecost right now. Let's praise the Lord for that, for that great day. But right before uh, Pentecost, Jesus is finally together for the last time. He's been walking and roaming the, the land for 40 days. And he's on his hill 
The disciples are with him. I'm sure his mom is there and others are with him. And he has, again, the opportunity to say his really, really famous last, last words. What was the very last thing that Jesus said? Well, you know it with me, and let's say it together. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses, ambassadors in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is what he said. Jesus could have said a lot of really amazing last things before he ascended uh, at the ascension to go to be with his father. He could have said, friends, here's the number for the lottery Powerball. He could have said, here's the stock to buy for retirement. He could have said, here's the name of your spouse that you've been looking for. And he even could have given us the cure for cancer. But Jesus said his very, very famous last, last words. To go and to make again, but this time to make disciples in specific regions. He said, first of all, start in Jerusalem. Start at home, in your own home. Those who are closest to your family, you need to be an ambassador to them. And then to Judea, which is the area surrounding the Hinsdale community around here. You need to go out. You need to help out with the homeless connect that's going on in your city here. You need to go to this, Jerus- this uh, Judea area. But then the harder one, he says, and you got to go to Samaria too. Nobody wanted to go to Samaria. Everybody avoided the Samaritans. Everybody went around Samaria to go places. They didn't want to go through that country. Jesus says, you need to go where the people are in prison. You need to go where people are hurt. You need to go to the hospitals. You need to go to places that nobody else wants to go, the homeless mission. Those are the places that I need you to be for Samaria. And then, of course, he says the ends of the earth. And that's how we've also, as a denomination, been super excited and involved in world, in world mission. Now, where's the ends of the, ends of the earth when Jesus said this? Well, that day, everybody kind of knew that northwest Spain was the end of the earth. That's about as far as they knew geographically you could go without falling off the edge of the world into the abyss, right? And I've been there. I have been to the ends of the earth. It's a town in northwest Spain called Finisterre, and in Spanish that means end of earth. And I was just there in, in October with my wife Deb. We were on sabbatical. We walked across Spain, by the way, across the El Camino. I had a wonderful trip. Ended up at the end of the earth. And we're standing there going, is this it? Okay. <laughs> Pretty cool. So we ended up uh, coming back home and saying, well, really, where is the end of the earth? If, if I was in Jerusalem today, and I had a globe, and I went to the opposite end of that globe, and I actually went to the end of the earth from Jerusalem, anybody want to guess where this is over here? Nome, Alaska. <laughs> I'm there! <clears throat> that was actually our past president, Gary Walter, who said it was Nome, Alaska. I've never verified it, so don't, I, I, I can't tell you for sure that's where it is. Jesus' famous last words need you to go to the ends of the earth. Be my ambassador. My friend Nancy Reed, some of you might remember her, covenant missionary to Mexico I served with. She said this to me once, Keith. If you're looking for Jesus, then go to the ends of the earth because that is exactly where he is. <clears throat> Are you willing to consider going to the ends of the earth today, tomorrow, the next day to be, to be and make disciples? It was... 21 years ago, almost 22, that Debbie and I were called out of our Vata Covenant Church in Colorado to go serve in Alaska. We thought we were going to Ecuador. One of the other sermons you might remember we talked about. We thought we were going to Ecuador. God has a sense of humor. Went from the equator to the North Pole. 
And um, we arrived there. There was no students. There were no staff. There were no facilities. There were no funds. And five days after 9-11, we opened our door to 22 students, mainly Eskimos like Byron from those ends of the earth. Our students come, many of them, from third world conditioned villages where there's no running water. Forty uh, percent of our rural villages still don't have running water. It's humble. It's a humbling experience to serve these amazing students. And people said, that was the craziest thing you've ever done. It was. Were we willing to pack up everything? Yeah, we thought we could. And we got there. We realized that we too, like you, are helping fulfill God's great commission. But you know what? They're excuses. I'll be honest with you. I, I for myself, made excuses why I couldn't go and do this and that. And I understand it. And honestly, there are definitely excuses why somebody shouldn't go to the ends of the earth. Somebody shouldn't go to Samaria. Somebody shouldn't go because of what might be going on in your life. It could be an age issue. It could be a health issue. It could be your family dynamic issue. But those who have gone, unless they go with the sure insistence that Jesus has called them to go, they should not. The most dangerous place to be, my friends, is just one little millimeter outside of the center of God's will for your life. Dangerous place to be. And so we do, we listen carefully. And for those of us who have the option, a good out, a reason to not go to the ends of the earth today, and those exist, if you're not being called to a specific mission field, either right here in Jerusalem or Judea or Samaria, then I'm going to take a look with you at the words of an amazing missionary because he gave us an out. God didn't so much. Jesus didn't so much, but this amazing missionary did to India. His name was William Carey. And William Carey left England in the 1800s and went also across on the freighter over to, Africa, or to India Huge country, no Christian missionaries, one of the first ever to land in India, all by himself. Had an extremely difficult time. And he wrote a letter back to his church in England, the sending church. And he said these words. He said these words. I will go down into the pit, but the rest of you must hold the rope. I know everybody can't go to India, he said. But if I'm going to go, I need you folks all back home to hold that rope. And this is our opportunity. If we're not able to do that amazing, crazy thing to go to the end of the earth, we need to figure out in our own self, in our own family, how we are going to be able to hold the rope. And you know how that looks. That means that you are praying consistently for somebody in your family who has gone in your place. You're praying for people that you know your church supports through mission. You're inviting people into your home that are needing a fresh bread, a piece of bread, and who need a caring and the love and the hospitality that comes with being a Jesus follower. We need to hold the rope for others when we can't go ourselves through giving, through saying, I know today I can't go to the mission trip up to Alaska with, with Pastor Simon, but I know that we can give to make sure others can go because I can't go right now. That is holding the rope. And then we go to the village of Unalakleet. Unalakleet in 1887, the first missionary, covenant missionary, landed. His name was Axley Carlson. This is our second Carlson. 
And actually, Carlson, in 1887, when he landed on the shores of Unalakleet, nobody spoke Swedish. Go figure. He came from Sweden. He'd gone to Russia, got kicked out of Russia, actually, for being a Jesus follower. Went back to the United States, said, you know what, I'm going to go to Alaska instead. I can see Russia from there. Gets up there, shows up on the shore, finds a young man named Stefan. And Stefan spoke Russian, and Axel spoke Russian, but Stefan was from the village, so he also spoke Inupiaq, the language of the people of Unalakleet. And Axel said, would you translate my black book to the people of your village through Russian and then into Inupiaq? And that young man said, yeah, sure, you betcha, and began to translate God's word. And you know what? As far as we know, the first person to follow Jesus in the village of Unalakleet was that young translator, Stefan Ivanov. His great-great-grandson today is the very first superintendent of the Covenant Churches of Alaska that's native because that apostolic train kept moving through Alaska. I arrive in Unalakleet each time. I I go almost every year. Um, We have a Bible camp there that I attend with, with our students. There's this amazing, incredible sized monument to Axel Carlson. It's next to the, to the, to the uh, airport. I can walk straight there. It's the only one in the whole cemetery that has a fence around it. It's the tallest one in the cemetery. Pretty huge. You're like, oh my goodness, this is embarrassing that the missionaries would put up this amazing honor to the missionary when all the covenant pastors, native guys, they're all on the ground, little low um, tombstones with with tundra growing all over the top of it. And here's this big monstrosity. Oh, my goodness. And then you realize, no, it wasn't the missionaries that put this monument up to Axel in the cemetery. It was the villagers. And I want to tell you the words. They're archaic words, but the words that were written are written today on that tombstone. Axel Lee Carlson, born 1858, Sweden. Died 1910, Unalakleet. And here are his famous last words. When he came to our village of Unalakleet, there were no Christians. But when he left us, there were no pagans. Think of that legacy. The apostolic train, being a caboose, holding the rope if you can't go. How beautiful on the mountain are the feet of those who bring the good news. Is Jesus sending you to bring the good news this morning to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, or the ends of the earth? Because we know that today in our world, there are 7.7 billion people. And three and a half plus almost of those billion people live in still unreached people groups. You know, Christianity is nearly one generation away from extinction unless we go. And we're not cabooses. Is that cabooseye? I'm not sure if it's plural. Or we are one generation away from the whole world knowing Jesus and therefore making disciples while being ambassadors or holding the rope for others. We're in it together. I want to invite Byron to come up and join me here as we have some minutes together. Byron's going to share his full story Um, later on at the salmon lunch. But I wanted you to get a taste of one of the students that you have been investing in for all of the years. By the way, Hinsdale Covenant, Pastor Lars, you guys 
our what we call a legacy church uh, with us. You have been with us almost since the beginning. You regularly give generously to the school. Individuals give generously to the school. We come down here. You bring a team up there. You have been with us. You are a legacy church. And I like to bring a student with me when I visit legacy churches to say thank you. So, Byron, tell us where you were born, a little bit about your background. Okay. Um, my name is Byron Phillips. I was born in Anchorage, Alaska in June of 93. Um, my mother was actually born in the village of Unalakleet, Alaska. Um, unfortunately, I'll, I'll never know if she knew the story of the Carlson. She passed away about four years ago. Um, my, my dad was born in Chitna, Alaska. I was born and raised in Anchorage. Um, I've been going to Alaska Christian College. This is my third semester back. I have two more before I graduate. Um, I'd really like to go to Montana Bible College afterwards where I can get a bachelor's in healthcare management. Um, after losing my parents, a big dream of mine is to go back and work in the hospital in Anchorage and try to help people. Yeah, yeah. So what's your degree and uh, what do you do at ACC? I know you have a job there. <laughs> Um, so I'm, I'm doing general studies, so I can go to Montana Bible College after. Um, I am a student RA. I have been doing that for two semesters now, and I plan on returning again in the fall to continue being an RA. And I'm not allowed to tell your GPA because it's all those violations, you know, I would do. I can't say that, but you can, and I, I'm going to invite you if you want to share that. Yeah, yeah um, I'm a 4.0 college student. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. And Byron, um, I know that uh, you've had a rough go, and you're going to share that this afternoon. Um, a lot of addiction, mm -hmm. a lot of pain. Yeah, um, I, I know that we don't have very much time here now for the service, but I am sharing the full version of my testimony, if you'd like to hear that, at the Salmon Dinner mm -hmm. to support the scholarship fund for students just like me, and I'd love to see you there. Yeah, anything else you want to say to this legacy church, Byron? Um, I you know, I, I can't tell you how happy I am to be here. It was worth the six-hour flight to be with you all. <laughs> I, I love your church, and I just want to thank you for what you do for ACC and for students just like me. Yeah. Let's give Byron a big thank you for being here today. Yeah. Thanks, bro. Let's bow together. Lord, it is a great thing to know that you are alive and working on Pentecost. You are alive and really um, making a difference across the nations of the world and faraway places like the Congo, for places like Unalakleet, Alaska, where today 100 kids are showing up for junior high Bible camp. No running water, no electricity, and yet they show up, Lord, to learn about Jesus. We pray, God, for this church that people here would take seriously the call to mission, would find a way, Lord, to hold the rope if they're not able to go, and that, God, together we would see this great throng someday in heaven, every tribe, every nation, every tongue together. Lord, as we come to the communion table now, too, we know that there are millions across the world today that are opening up their cups and eating their bread today as well as we celebrate what you've done through the blood and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so we commit to you, Lord, uh, our very selves this day to go and to make disciples. In Christ's name I pray, amen.